time again for Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard podcast. I am Dr. Jacques DeBrucker, a psychologist, licensed professional counselor, and addiction specialist. If you are suffering from addiction, misery, trauma, whatever it is, I'm here to help. If you're in search of help to try to get your life back together, join me here at Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard, the addiction recovery podcast. Hey, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need actual help from a licensed professional counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, please go get that. Don't use this as your help. This is not professional help. It is entertainment. So hopefully you'll learn something from this podcast and get some good, useful information. But if you decide after listening to it that you need professional help, please go get it. Because this is only a podcast. So I can't really see what's going on inside your head. feel like your marriage is in need of some help, you should listen to the Naked Marriage Podcast hosted by Dave and Ashley Willis. It's a podcast dedicated to undressing the truth about sex, intimacy, and lifelong love. The concerns and questions most couples have in marriage often go unspoken until now. Hosts Dave and Ashley Willis bring wisdom, vulnerability, and humor to even the toughest marriage topics. So listen to Dave and Ashley Willis as they discuss marriage on their podcast, The Naked Marriage. So I'm going to jump right into today's topic, how to cure alcoholism. How do you do it? Well, let's address several things on that topic. And the first one is, how do you cure it? I don't know. You can't cure it. I don't have a magic wand in my office and I can't wave it over my clients and come up with a real solid way to cure alcoholism. I don't know that you actually cure it. I think you heal and then that, and then that's how you end up becoming cured from your alcoholism. But I'd like to talk about a couple of things that really heavily influence our usage of alcohol. Um, you know, I, I've researched this topic to death. I've treated it forever, it seems like. And one thing I have picked up right away is that from a uh, from an epidemiological standpoint, uh, it's really, really difficult to treat and to end and extinguish alcoholism with people who have that addiction. Um, it's legal, and it was really a it's probably one of the worst drugs to legalize, I think, because it's so difficult to stop. And so extinguishing alcoholism, and I'm going to say that instead of curing it, because I think what you're doing is you're really kind of putting the fire out. I always use the the fire analogy. It's like embers burning in a in a uh, in a fireplace. You know, if you you can see ashes on top of them, but you can't see the embers. But boy, if you reach your hand in there, you're sure going to find those embers right away because it's going to be. Uh, burning your skin like crazy. And I think that's kind of what alcoholism is. It's just always laying there dormant, waiting to attack again, just looking for that opportunity to kick back in and take your life back over. So I think if we looked at it like extinguishing it, um, but it's it, it, there, the potential is there always to rise up out of that. And I, I know you may be getting sick of those fire analogies. And I, I know I, this is the lifeguard podcast, <laughs> the, the, the addiction lifeguard podcast, but uh, that's kind of what it's like. 
Because I think if you were drowning and you're in the water and you can't breathe, you're not going to suddenly start breathing in the water. But certainly with uh, addiction, it's going to be something more akin to a fire. So I'm going to use that word extensively today as I, as I talk to you about how to end your alcoholism. So there are many things that, key, that, that trigger alcoholic drinking. Um, and we've talked about those, and I can continue talking about those in the future, and I will, uh, traumas being the primary one. Um, but that certainly is part of it. But um, there's a lot of things that, that contribute to it, and certainly the ability to stop uh, has to, to follow the, the, the AA recovery uh, saying that there's only one thing you have to change to get sober, and that's everything. But it's just that one thing. It's everything. And, and that certainly applies. And so when you're changing your alcoholism to a non-alcoholic lifestyle, you have to change everything about your lifestyle. And certainly cues, social cues, or, or uh, cues of pairing of activities um, can certainly contribute to your alcoholism. So when you stop uh, watching TV uh, at the end, of the end of the show, it's like, oh, okay, it's time to get a drink. Or perhaps you, it's the end of the day. It's the end of the workday, so I'm going to go get something to drink and kind of wind down. There's all kinds of ways that we, uh, we, we call it, you know, winding down, cooling off, I'm going to relax, whatever. Those are the, you know, it's combined with the cues. So you had a stressful day, so you want to drink to unwind. Perhaps it's a cigarette, you know. A lot of people, um, no, you can't do it today in most parts of this country, but you used to be you could drink and smoke, so people would be smoking and drinking. So... That paired activity, that was a cue, and that, that triggers a craving because you're pairing those activities. So if you're pairing smoking with drinking or, or, or a card game with drinking or the beach with drinking or whatever, a romantic dinner has to have wine, right? Sometimes people do that. So when you, when you stop the drinking, what you're doing is you're not going to be uh, partaking in that activity of drinking with the paired activity. However... What does happen is you, you trigger a craving and your brain is wired to then uh, connect those two things. And so you connect that. And we find that with food too. Um, uh, sitting and eating while you're watching TV can become very habitual, especially if you're single. And so you sit in front of the television and eat. So you're no longer connected to the eating and you're not really connected to the TV because those two activities have occupied your, your mind. And so you're divided. So if you stopped eating when you were watching television and normally you would sit down in front of the TV and you'd watch TV while you were eating, if you're watching TV, you're going to be triggered into that craving. That craving is going to be triggered in your mind and you're going to get this dopamine rush of, of wanting it, wanting it, wanting it. And your reward center is going to find that, that need for that thing. So for drinking, it, it can be triggered by so many different things. For me, it's the beach um, or it could be... Uh, you know, later at night, I was not a day drinker necessarily. I, I, that always bothered me, uh, day drinking. But um, so being around friends would cause it. Going to the beach would cause it. Um, uh, being alone, watching movies. Uh, because when I was single and younger, I would uh, watch movies and and I'd have a beer or two, and that would be, I would pair those. So when I would watch movies after I stopped drinking, um, it would it would trigger that. So when you, when you have those triggered cravings, uh, it's because you've stopped using your drug of choice. And in this case, we're talking about alcohol. 
and it, it's a very compelling uh, trigger. It you know addiction wants you to drink. That part of your brain wants that alcohol badly, and you can actually almost feel it physically when you want it. And so that craving uh, gets gets triggered. So you want to extinguish the cued craving. So maybe as part of your recovery, you need to stop getting into that cued activity, uh, at least while you're trying to get sober, because you don't know how to handle what's going on in your brain. Your brain, the reward center starts firing off and it becomes almost compulsive. The, the executive decision-making portion of your brain is no longer sending a signal that says you, you can't do this. It's being triggered into saying, I do. And that's because of that cued craving that happens. So everything must change in your life so that you can get away from that. And so when you stop drinking, it's, there are many things that occur that in your, in your mind, you want this thing and the addict brain. And I spend a lot of my time trying to explain to people that the addict brain thinks differently than the non-addict brain. It's that compulsive kind of thinking, that obsessive thinking about something that addicts really do have a hard time dealing with and so when you are uh struggling in your recovery you're being triggered in these these cued cravings so when you're trying to stop drinking understand that the coping mechanism of the feeling of that rush when you drink the alcohol and when it starts to hit your brain that's one part of it but the other part is i want to be able to spend my time doing something that makes me feel good or feel better and that would be that activity, but finding ways to to change everything in your life is going to be a challenge, but it's necessary. It really is. So there may be friends that you can't be hanging around with anymore, places you can't go, people you can't see, um, conversations that can't be had, or activities. Um, <laughs> one of my friends was really, really, he, he struggled with, uh, he played cards. And he played cards every Saturday night with the guys. And he, he could not, once he stopped drinking, he could not, he couldn't, he couldn't play cards anymore with them. He just couldn't. It, it was, it was disastrous. He, he just was so preoccupied by them drinking and his cued craving of sitting there holding the cards and the sound and the chips on the table and everything. It just made it impossible for him uh, to, to uh, not be overwhelmed by that thought of wanting to drink and he felt very out of place it didn't make him feel upset or angry that they were drinking that's not the issue it was that he couldn't handle his brain telling him his addict brain being activated and saying you you know i want that i want that and so uh he just he had to stop playing cards with them um i had another uh friend he wasn't a client he was a friend from um high school who um, he always, and and when I was a kid and I knew him, he was always connecting the idea of drinking with Chips Ahoy cookies. And I remember him really, he, he would go to the store. I remember we used to go when we were teenagers, we used to go to the store and we'd buy uh, a case of beer and then he'd head over to the cookie aisle and go get a, a container. It's not a bag, it's a it's a tray container of Chips Ahoy cookies. And so I was not surprised to hear that when he uh, did eventually pass away, um, that that was in his environment, those Chips Ahoy cookies. 
and sadly, I, I always think of him when I see them. Um, but he, that was a cued craving, um, the alcohol and the cookies. And I don't, I don't, I have no idea where that came from for him, but it was a big deal. Um, and so the cued craving and the change that you need to do to get away from that cued craving, it's, it's going to be significant. So you, you have to find a way to recognize what those cued cravings are and then be able to move away from them or modify them and, and end them or replace them with something that's not connected to alcohol. So this triggering of this compulsive thinking about what can, what, how do I do this? Um, it's, it's, it's much like, you know, looking at that fire and in that fireplace and seeing, is it actually burning and how do I put it out? And if putting it out means I have to dump some water on it and make it useless, you know, to, to, uh, not have that heat present. Okay. Then do that. But it's, it's all about change. Recovery is all about change. Uh, it, you can't keep things the same. Whether it's where you live or who you're around, maybe your job, but in your recovery, you must decide what those things are and figure them out. And you do that slowly. And you do that not by yourself, typically. You do it with somebody else. Like a good therapist can help guide and walk you through that. Somebody who really understands addiction and can help you with that. Now, the other thing that is really, really vitally important is the ability to uh, surrender. And, and, and I've talked about that so many times before, but surrender, like, what does that mean? Surrender, surrender yourself, surrender yourself to what? And for me, it, it, it's, I think that the most effective thing is to surrender yourself to another thing that's greater than you. Now for me, you know, as a Christian, it's God and I, I surrender myself to God and, and try to find ways to to listen to that and, and hope that I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to say with recovery, with alcohol specifically, it's the partnership thing and it's, and it's a conversion to something that is greater than you. And so that's why the AA model is so effective because it replaces that, that, uh, that arrogant need to be self, self-sustaining, self-important, um, self-aggrandizing and, um, like, you know, screw you, your my drinking's not, my problem, it's your problem because you can't tolerate me. That's your problem. Um, so in AA, the whole model of, of a, a quote-unquote religious conversion, right? You're going to go to something that is greater than you. And and so in the in the AA model, it's the first step. Like I, this addiction is more powerful than I am. Well, how am I supposed to do anything if I'm if I'm so weak? I can't I can't do anything. So you have to give over the idea that you're defenseless. Um, and so you need to rely on something else. So that turning over you of yourself is to eventually get rid of your addiction is to be able to get rid of your arrogance because we're as addicts, we become so arrogant, uh, in everything that we do and say, and you're not going to, you're not going to listen to anybody at all ever. If, if you're an addict and you're an alcoholic and you're in the throes of that addiction, you're not listening to anybody. My friends, um, and my clients, both, who have alcohol as an issue, uh, it's 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 terrible. It's a terrible thing to witness, and they um, uh, they they just can't surrender over to the idea that they are wrong or that they need to change. And so, if you are stuck in that cycle, and and you really are stuck in that cycle of that arrogant thinking, understand that when you break that cycle of that arrogant thinking, that. You, you can turn yourself over, but you can't stop the arrogance if you have nothing to turn yourself over to. And so 
that's why it's important to get into the rooms, uh, to get to get in those rooms and sit down and maybe raise your hand for the first time and say, you know, I'm Jacques, I'm an alcoholic. And everybody turns to you and says, uh, welcome, Jacques. You know, it's like you, you've got to get to that place where you can you can you can have that place to surrender. You can have that place to begin to make that change. And so whether it's a, a therapist or a a a a sponsor, a sponsor um, somebody in the room, some friend, somebody that you admire that has gotten into recovery. Follow them. Follow them in everything they do because they figured it out. You haven't. They have. So I'll go back to that thing about that change, right? So you, the the magical thinking that changes doesn't change doesn't need to happen. It'll just go away on its own. Um, that we were I was talking about earlier. So finding finding something you can turn yourself over to, and my urging of of you would be to um, seek that spiritual side of yourself because I think alcohol, it, it, it it's your, de- you're drowning your spiritual self in, in alcohol. You're drowning that spiritual self to death, which is why one of the reasons I call this the, uh, the addiction lifeguard podcast. Cause I feel like, you know, and I, and I, the, the, the idea that alcohol is a liquid and so on and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I'm trying to help people understand that what they're doing literally is their spiritual being, their spiritual self has been drowned in that misery of, of addiction. And so finding something that can help you, you can't if you can't swim and you you know you, somebody throws you in the water, you're gonna be you know floundering around in the water and that's how people drown is they they try to claw their way to the surface and they can't do it. So they're splashing frantically in the water until they exhaust themselves and then eventually they, uh, their head can't stay above water and they drown. The irony of that whole thing is if you're in the water and you're drowning, uh, you're going to clutch onto anything that comes by. It could be a steel beam that takes you straight to the bottom or it could be a, a ring buoy. Uh, it could be another person, but... Uh, and and if the person that you, you know, if there's a person that's there and you're in the water and you grab them, you're probably going to take them down too. And so that's the, one of the first rules of lifeguarding is don't become a victim yourself when you're trying to rescue somebody. And um, so anyway, to get back to the idea of what you should do, you've got to latch on to something and there has to be something there. And if you think arrogantly that you're the center of the universe and there is nothing else, when you stop drinking, you will not stop for long. You will end up becoming addicted again. You will just relapse. Uh, you'll just go right back to it. So finding something bigger than yourself, I think that's probably the 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 number one or number two greatest point. And so you turn yourself over. That's part of the change. Right? Everything you did before was not working, so you have to change everything because all of it was bad. You're at the bottom, you're by yourself, you're, you know, it's just, it's miserable. So walking into church, find a pastor to talk to, find a mentor to talk to, find a sponsor to talk to, find a therapist to talk to, find a psychiatrist to talk to, find somebody to talk to, and then stop being uh, arrogant and begin that conversation. And in that healing of that spiritual self, you will find the recovery. And if, if you're around people that are making you feel like a criminal because of your addiction or you feel bad, 
that is also very, very harmful to your recovery. So getting away from that idea, find something to fill yourself spiritually. And again, for me, it's it's my love of God and my connection with God. Um, for you, it could be too. But you have to find that. And you have to, you have to latch on to it and hang on for dear life. Because you do not know how to swim. You do not know how to stay out of harm's way in that drowning of, of pool of addiction. So hang on for dear life until you can figure out how to safely swim. And if you can't swim, you have to hang on until you make it to uh, ground so you can stand. So arrogance getting in the way, uh, but you s- s- help your spiritual self. Um, most of the people that come in to seek help with me, my clients and patients, um, they come in and they are they're just beat up individuals who are angry and hostile and uh, they will come and attack me in my office. I mean, not physically, but you know, verbally they'll, they'll, they'll come after me and I don't take that personally. It's, it's part of the, the disease itself that makes them do that, but they will attack me. They'll attack their family. They'll attack people around them. And, and then all the while they keep asking for help. I have had clients many times over the years who have uh, come into my office and, and said, please help me. And I begin to help them. And then I help, I, I point out the things that they have to change and they can't, they won't change them. And then they get angry because I'm asking them to do that. And then they return uh, after hearing that after some time, it could be a week or, you know, their next session or whatever. And then they come in asking for help again. And it's this horrible cycle of help me and then refusal to change anything that they're told to do. But that's because they haven't turned themselves over primarily because they are significantly traumatized and they do not trust anybody. They don't trust anything. Everybody's been coming after them and they've been sexually or verbally abused or physically abused as children. They learn not to trust anybody. So my message to you who has alcohol as an addiction is to release yourself from the idea that there is nobody and nothing that you can trust ever in your life. And when you do that, you close yourself off to people and institutions and uh, to God and everything that can help you. So turning yourself over, that's what that is. And it's a scary proposition that step three, like turn yourself over to a higher power uh, that we talk about in, in the 12 steps. But you can't get to step four. You cannot be fearless in your searching moral inventory of your character defects if you think of yourself as being forever under attack by everything and everybody. So finding somebody that you can trust who cares and cares about you and your well-being. Seek that person out. Stop being so darn arrogant and seek that person out because there are people, many of us, who want to help you. Everybody who is in the rooms has been in that position. Now, they may not be the best uh, guides or mentors in your recovery, but they have been in that position and they really... And deep in their heart, they want to help. They may be good intentioned, but flawed in their execution of that help. But they do want to help you. And so getting away from the idea that you cannot be helped um, is key. So where does that leave us? Well, alcohol recovery, liquid death. It wants you dead. That's what addiction is. It's uh, It's the enemy that wants you dead. And it uses all these tools, arrogance and willful blindness and uh, 
and stupidity and all the things and, and, and triggers all these insecurities in you. And it's unnecessary because you have been forgiven. You just don't realize it. So anything you've done to anybody at any time has already been forgiven. You just have to accept that love. And for me, it comes from the love of God. Well, I hope you enjoyed this edition of Doc Shock, the Addiction Lifeguard podcast. And I have certainly enjoyed spending time with you. As always, if you need help, please reach out for it. You can reach me through my website, wellspringmindbody.com, and uh, let me know what you're struggling with. Otherwise, you can get help through a local provider of addiction treatment and do that. There's no point in you suffering and drowning from your addiction. Remember, it's not how many times you fall down that matter it's how many times you get back up and all you got to do is get back up that one last time so thanks for listening and i hope to catch you on the next episode of doc shock your addiction life thanks for listening